The desire of Titus Women is to invite women around the world to know Jesus as their Savior, Center, and Source. May God guide and encourage you through this message. I saw then in my dream that Christian went on till he saw three men fast asleep with fetters upon their heels. The name of the one was Simple, the second was Sloth, and the third Presumption. Christian, seeing the three, sought to waken them, crying, You are like them that sleep on the top of a mast, for the dead sea is under you, a gulf that has no bottom. Awake and come away, and I will help you off with your irons. With that they looked upon him and began to reply in this manner. Simple said, uh, I see no danger. Sloth said, <sighs> Yet a little more sleep. <sighs> and Presumption said, Every tub must stand upon its own bottom. So they lay down to sleep again, and Christian went on his way. About this time he saw two men tumbling over the wall on the left side of the narrow way. Soon they came up to him. The name of the one was Formalist, and the other Hypocrisy. Gentlemen, where do you come from, and where are you going? We are, we were born in the land of vain glory, and are going to Mount Zion. Why came you not in at the gate, which stands at the beginning of the way? Know you not that it is written, He that cometh not in by the door, the same as a thief and a robber? <laughs> to go to the gate for entrance is by all our countrymen counted too far about. Therefore, our usual way is to make a shortcut and to climb in over the wall. But will it not be counted a trespass against the Lord of the city where we are going to violate his revealed will? You need not trouble about that, for it is customary to do as we did. But will you stand trial at law? Then formalist and hypocrisy said that the custom had stood for over a thousand years and would doubtless be admitted as legal by an impartial judge. Anyway, they asked, what does it matter how one gets in the way as long as one gets in? I doubt whether you will be found true at the end of the way. You come in by yourselves without his direction, and you will go out by yourselves without his mercy. To this they made but little answer, except to bid him look to himself, and to note that the only difference between them and him was his coat. This coat was given to me by the lord of the place. I had nothing but rags before. 
I have, moreover, a mark in my forehead, which you may not have noticed. I have also a sealed roll, which I read for comfort, and which I will turn in at the celestial gate. To these things they gave no answer, but laughed, and went on their way, with Christian ahead. <laughs> I beheld that they all went on till they came to the foot of the hill difficulty, at the bottom of which was a spring. Also, in the same place were two other roads, one turned left and the other turned right at the bottom of the hill. The narrow road led up the hill called Difficulty. Christian went to the spring and drank to refresh himself before going up the hill. The other two also came to the foot of the hill, and supposing that the two roads might meet again with the one Christian took, they decided to take those roads. The name of the one of those roads was Danger, and the other Destruction. I watched Christian go up the hill, running at first, and then walking and climbing on his hands and knees because of the steepness. Midway to the top of the hill was a pleasant arbour, made by the lord of the hill to refresh weary travellers. Then Christian sat down to rest, and pulled his roll out of his bosom, and read. At last he fell asleep and his roll fell out of his hand. As he slept, one came to him, and awakened him, saying, Go to the ant, thou sluggard, consider her ways, and be wise. And with that, Christian suddenly started up, and sped on his way to the top of the hill. When he came there, two men came running to him. The name of the one was Timorous, and the other, Mistrust. Christian said to them, Sirs, what's the matter? You're running the wrong way. Timorous answered that he was going to the celestial city, and they had scaled the difficult place, but that the farther they went on, the more danger they met with, and they had therefore turned and were going back again. Mistrust said that two lions lay in the way. It was not known whether they were asleep or awake, but the risk of being torn to pieces was too great. You make me afraid, but to go back is death. To go forward is fear of death and life everlasting. Beyond that, I will yet go forward. So mistrust and timorous ran down the hill, and Christian went on his way. But thinking again of what he had heard from the men, he felt in his bosom for his roll, that he might read therein and be comforted. But he felt and could not find it. Christian was in great distress, and fell down on his knees and asked God's forgiveness. Then he went back to look for his roll. He went until he came again in sight of the arbour where he had slept. 
But that sight renewed his sorrows for his sin of sleeping. He wailed, O oh, wretched man that I am! How far would I have been if I had not slept? As providence would have it, when he came to the arbour, he saw his roll and snatched it up and put it into his bosom. How great was his joy! This roll was the assurance of his life and acceptance of his desired haven. With joy he continued his journey. Then, as he began to wonder about the beasts ahead, he looked up and beheld a very stately palace before him. I saw in my dream that he made haste and went forward to get lodging there, if it were possible. Before he had gone far, he entered a very narrow passage and saw two lions in the way. He thought of the dangers spoken of by mistrust and timorous. He did not know that the lions were chained. Therefore he was afraid and was tempted to go back. But the porter of the lodge, whose name is Watchful, saw that Christian was halting and cried out to him, Why is your strength so small? Fear not the lions, for they are chained and are placed there to try the faith of the travellers. Keep in the middle of the path, and no harm shall come to you. Then I saw that he went on, trembling for fear of the lions, but taking good heed for the directions of the porter. He heard them roar, but they did not harm him. Then he clapped his hands, and went on till he stood before the gate where the porter was. Then asked Christian of the porter, Sir, what house is this, and may I lodge here to-night? The porter answered, This house was built by the Lord of the hill, and he built it for the relief and security of pilgrims. And who are you, and where are you going? I am come from the city of destruction, and I am going to Mount Zion, because the sun is now set, I desire, if I may, to lodge here the night. But why did you come so late? The sun is set. I, I had been here sooner, but I slept in the arbour that stands by the hillside, and when I lost my parchment, I was forced to go back to that place where I slept to find it. I will call out for one of the virgins of this place, who will, if she likes you, bring you to the rest of the family, according to the rules of the house. So the watchman went in and rang the bell, and a beautiful damsel made discretion answered. This man has come on his journey to Mount Zion, but he is weary and asked if he might lodge here the night. Then she asked him where he had come from, and how he had gotten into the way, and he told her. After a pause, she said, I will call two or three more of the family. So she called out, to prudence, priety, and charity, 
who brought him into the family. Many of them said, Come in, thou blessed of the Lord. This house was built by the Lord to entertain pilgrims. Then he bowed his head and followed them into the house. What moved you to first betake yourself to be a pilgrim? I was uh, driven out of my native country by a dreadful sound that threatened destruction if I stayed there. But how did it happen that you came out of your country this way? It was as God would have it, for when I was under the fear of destruction and did not know where to go, a man named Evangelist directed me to the wicket gate and set me in the way that led me directly to this house. After they discoursed till late at night, they committed themselves to the Lord for protection and betook themselves to rest. The pilgrim they put in a large upper chamber, whose window opened towards the rising sun. The name of the chamber was Peace, and Christian awoke at the break of the day singing. In the morning he was told he should not depart till they had shown him some of the rarities of the place. First they showed him the records of great antiquity, including the pedigree of the Lord of the Hill. Then they read him some of the acts that his servants had done. The next day they led Christian into the armory, where they showed him all manner of furniture, which their Lord had provided for pilgrims, a sword, shield, helmet, breastplate, and shoes that would not wear out. They also showed him some of the instruments with which some of the servants had done wonderful things, including Moses' rod, the pitchers, trumpets and lamps with which Gideon put to flight the armies of Midian, and the jawbone with which Samson did such mighty feats. Then I saw in my dream that on the morrow, when Christian desired to go forward, the others asked him to stay that day to see the delectable mountains, which would further add to his comfort, for they were nearer the desired haven than where he was at present. He consented, and when he looked south, he saw a most pleasant mountainous country, with beautiful woods, vineyards, fruits and flowers, with springs and fountains. He asked the name of the country, and they told him it was Emmanuel's land. And when he came there, he would see the gate of the celestial city. Before Christian set forth, he was led again to the armory, where he was harnessed from head to foot, lest he should meet with assaults in the way and be overcome. He then walked out with his friends to the gate. There he asked the porter whether he had seen a pilgrim pass by. Porter answered, Yes. Did you know him? He told me his name was Faithful. I know him. 
He is a neighbor from my town. How far do you think he's gone? By this time, he will be below the hill. Well, good porter, the Lord be with you, and add increase to your blessings for the kindness you have shown me. Then Christian began to go forward. But discretion, piety, charity, and prudence agreed to accompany him to the foot of the hill. As they conversed, Christian said, As it was difficult coming up, as far as I can see, it is dangerous going down. Yes, said Prudence, it is a hard matter for a man to go down into the valley of humiliation, as you are now, and not to slip by the way. This is why we want to accompany you down the hill. So he began to descend, but very slowly, lest he should slip. Then I saw in my dream that these good companions arrived at the foot of the hill. They gave Christian a cluster of raisins, a loaf of bread, and other provisions, and he went on his way. Part 3. The Fight with Apollyon Christian was hard-pressed in this valley of humiliation, for he had gone but a little way when he saw a foul fiend coming over the field to meet him. His name was Apollyon. Christian was afraid and wondered whether he should go back or stand his ground. He remembered that he had no armor for his back, and to turn his back to him might give him a greater advantage for using his darts. He therefore resolved to stand his ground. When he met with Apollyon, he saw that the monster was hideous to behold. He was clothed with scales like a fish, wings like a dragon, and feet like a bear. Out of his belly came fire and smoke, and his mouth was the mouth of a lion. When he came up to Christian, he beheld him with disdainful countenance, and thus began to question him. Whence came you, and whither are you bound? I am come from the city of destruction, which is the place of all evil, and I am going to Zion City. By this I perceive that you are one of my subjects, for all that country is mine, and I am the prince of it. How is it that you have run away from your king? Were it not that I hope you may do me more service, I would now strike you with one blow to the ground. I was indeed born in your dominions, but your service was hard, and your wages such as a man could not live on. There is no prince that will lightly lose his subjects. Neither will I lose you. 
But since you complain of your service and wages, be content to go back. And what our country will afford, I promise to give you. But I have given myself to another, even the king of princes. How can I go back and not be hanged as a traitor? You did the same by me, and yet I am willing to pass it by. Why do you count his service better than mine? For he never yet came from the place where he is to deliver any that serve him out of his enemy's hands. As for me, all the world knows I have delivered either by power or fraud those who have faithfully served me and so i will deliver you anyway you have already been unfaithful in your service all this is true but you have left out much of the story the prince whom i serve is merciful and ready to forgive and i have obtained pardon of my peace then Apollyon broke out into a grievous rage, saying, oh, I am an enemy of this prince. I hate his person, his laws, and people. I am come out on purpose to withstand you. Apollyon, beware of what you do, for I am in the king's highway, the way of holiness. Therefore, take heed to yourself. Then Apollyon straddled over the whole breadth of the way and said, Prepare yourself to die, for I swear by my infernal den that you shall go no further. Here, I will spill your soul. With that, he threw a flaming dart at his breast, but Christian had a shield in his hand with which he caught it. Then Christian drew his sword, for he saw it was time to fight. Apollyon made quickly at him, throwing the darts thick as hail. Notwithstanding all that Christian could do to avoid it, Apollyon wounded him in his head, hand and foot. Christian fell back a little, but quickly took courage and resisted as manfully as he could. The sore combat lasted for over half a day, until Christian was quite spent. Then Apollyon, seeing his opportunity, got up close to Christian, and wrestling with him, gave him a dreadful fall. With that, Christian's swords flew out of his hand. Then said Apollyon, I am sure of you now. With that, he almost pressed him to death, so that Christian began to despair of his life. But as God would have it, while Apollyon was bringing down his last blow, Christian nimbly reached out his hand for his sword, saying, Rejoice not against me, O mine enemy. When I fall, I shall arise. Then he gave a dreadful thrust with it and made Apollyon go back, for he had received a mortal wound. Seeing this, Christian made at him again, saying, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. And with that, Apollyon spread forth his wings and sped away, 
and Christians saw him no more. When the battle was over, Christians said, I will give thanks here to him that has delivered me out of the mouth of the lion and helped me against Apollyon. Then there came a hand with some leaves of the tree of life, which Christian took and applied to his wounds, and he was healed immediately. He also sat down to eat bread and to drink. Being refreshed, he continued his journey with his sword drawn, lest there be some other adversary in the way. At the end of this valley was another called the Valley of the Shadow of Death. Christian had to go through it because the way to the celestial city lay through it. This valley is a very solitary place and Christian was threatened even more than he was with Apollyon. I saw in my dream on the right side of this valley a very steep ditch into which the blind have led the blind in all ages. On the left was a dangerous crag in which even a good man can find no footing. King David once fell therein and almost smothered, but God helped him out. In the middle of the valley I perceived the mouth of hell. The flame and the smoke came out of it with such abundance, sparks and hideous noises, that Christian's sword availed little. He took unto himself another weapon, called All Prayer, and cried, O Lord, I beseech thee, deliver my soul. He went on this way for a time, remembering that he had already vanquished many dangers, and that going backwards might be as dangerous as going forward. Yet the fiends seemed to come nearer and nearer. But when they almost came to him, he cried out vehemently, I will walk in the strength of the Lord God. So they went back. I noticed that poor Christian was so confounded that he did not know his own voice. When he came near the mouth of the burning pit, one of the wicked ones got behind him and whispered softly to him many grievous blasphemies, which he thought proceeded out of his own mind. It grieved Christian to think that he could be guilty of blaspheming one who loved him so much. But he had not the discretion to stop his ears or to know the source of the blasphemies. When he had travelled in this disconsolate condition for some time, Christian thought he heard the voice of a man going before him, saying, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Then he was glad, for he knew someone else who feared God was also in the valley, that God also was there, and that he might have companionship after a time. When morning came, Christian looked back, not out of desire to return, but to see what hazards he had gone through in the dark. 
he saw more perfectly the ditch and the quag and the narrow way between them. He also saw the hobgoblins, the satyrs and the dragons of the pit, but all afar off, for they came not nigh in the daylight. Now was Christian much affected by his deliverance. In this light he came to the end of the valley. I saw in my dream that at the end of the valley lay blood, bones, ashes, mangled bodies of men, even pilgrims that had gone this way formerly. Christian went on his way singing. As Christian went up a little ascent, he saw faithful before him upon his journey. Then said Christian aloud, Stay, and I will be your companion. At that, Faithful looked behind and answered, No, I am threatened. The avenger of my blood is behind me. At this, Christian was moved, and summoning his strength, he quickly caught up with Faithful. But he did not take heed to his feet, so he stumbled and fell, and could not rise until Faithful came to help him. Then I saw in my dream that they went very lovingly on together, talking about the things that had happened to them on their pilgrimage. My honoured and well-beloved brother Faithful, I am glad that I have overtaken you, and that God has so tempered our spirits that we may walk as companions in so pleasant a path. I had thought, my friend, to have your company from our town, but you got the start on me, and I was forced to come much of the way alone. After you left there was much talk that our city would shortly be burned with fire from heaven. What did they say about our friend Pliable? Many of them thought he was a turncoat. He was ashamed to speak to me. He is now seven times worse than if he had never gone out of the city. Well, neighbour faithful, let us talk of the things that more immediately concern ourselves. As they went on, faithful chanced to look to one side and saw a man named Talkative walking close by their side. He was a tall man, and somewhat more comely at a distance than at hand. Friend, are you going to the heavenly city? I am, and I will gladly be your companion. Let us go on together, then, discoursing of the things that are comfortable and profitable. To talk of things that are good and uh, comfortable is very acceptable to me. There are so few uh, that one meets uh, in his travels who chose to speak of the things which uh, are of profit. What is so profitable or pleasant as to talk of the things of God? I will talk of things moral and things evangelical, things sacred or profane, things past or things to come, things foreign and things at home 
things more essential and things circumstantial, uh, provided that uh, all be done to our profit? Now Faithful began to wonder, and stepping to Christian, he said to him softly, What a brave companion we have! Surely this man will make a very excellent pilgrim? At this Christian modestly smiled and said, This man will beguile with his tongue twenty of them that know him not. His name is Talkative. He dwells in our town, the son of Saywell and Prating Row. Notwithstanding his fine tongue, he is a sorry fellow. He seems to be a handsome man. Am I greatly deceived by him? You may be sure of it. Remember the proverb, They say and do not, but the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. He talks of prayer, of repentance, of faith, and of the new birth, but he knows only talk of them. I have been in his family, and observed him both at home and abroad. His house is as empty of religion as the white of an egg is of savour. He is such a churl, and is so unreasonable with his servants, that they neither know how to do for or speak to him. Besides, he brings up his sons to follow in his steps, and if he finds any of them a foolish timorousness, he calls them fools and blockheads. He has by his life caused many to stumble and fall, and will likely be the ruin of many more. My brother, I am bound to believe you. I see that saying and doing are two different things. Hereafter I shall better observe the distinction. The soul of religion is the practical part. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction, and to keep himself spotted from the world. Torkotef is not aware of this. He thinks hearing and saying will make a good Christian, and thus he deceives his own soul. I am not so fond of his company that I want to continue with him. What shall we do to be rid of him? Go to him and enter into conversation about the power of religion and whether it prevails in his heart and home and conversation. Then Faithful stepped forward again and said to Talkative, uh, How does the saving grace of God discover itself when it is in the heart of man? I perceive that our talk must be about the power of things. My answer in brief is this. First, where the grace of God is in the heart, it causes there a great outcry against sin. Secondly, nay, hold, I think you should rather say it shows itself by inclining the soul to abhor its sin. Oh, what 
difference is there between crying out against and abhorring sin? Oh, a great deal. A man may cry out against sin of policy, but he cannot abhor it but by virtue of strong antipathy against it. I have heard many cry out against sin in the pulpit who can yet condone it in the heart, home, and conversation. But what is the second thing by which you prove the grace in your heart? A uh, great knowledge of the gospel mysteries. This also is false, for great knowledge in the mysteries of the gospel may obtain and yet no work of grace in the soul. A man may have all knowledge and be nothing, consequently no child of God. There are two sorts of knowledge, one that rests in the bare speculation of things and one that is accompanied by faith, love and doing the will of God from the heart. Will you propound another sign of this work of grace? Uh, no, for I see we shall not agree. If not, will you give me leave to do it? You may use your liberty. To him who has this grace, it works conviction of sin, especially for the defilement of his nature and the sin of unbelief. This sight and sense of things works in him sorrow and shame for sin. To others this grace is known by confession of faith in Christ and by a life of holiness. Now, if you wish to object to anything, go ahead. If not, give me leave to propound a second question. My part is not now to object, but to hear. Let me therefore have your second question. It is this. Do you experience this first part? Do your life and conversation testify of the same? Or does your religion stand in word and tongue, or in deed and truth? Then Talkative began to blush. But recovering himself, he replied, You speak of experience of conscience, and appeal to God for justification of what is spoken. This kind of discourse I did not expect. I do not feel bound to answer such questions, for you are not a judge. But why do you press me this way? Because I heard your previous talk. I have also heard that some have already stumbled at your wicked ways, and that more are in danger of being destroyed. Since you are so ready to take up reports and to judge rashly, I conclude you are a peevish and melancholy man, not fit to converse with, and so adieu. Then Christian came up to his brother and said, I told you what would happen. 
your words and his lusts could not agree. But I am glad we had this talk with him. He may think of what we said, and if not, I have dealt plainly with him and am clear of his blood if he perishes. If you want to learn more about Titus Women, visit us online at TitusWomen.org.